I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Tuesday, March 12th, 2013. My name is William Selby with the Office of Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating the call today. Today, we are honored to have as our guest a U-2 pilot whose name is being withheld, but we can call him Captain JC for the time being, who will discuss the 1st Reconnaissance Squadron's U-2 mission, history, and most importantly, its cent centennial anniversary. A note to the bloggers on the line, please remember to clearly state your blog and or na uh, name of your blog or organization in advance of your question. Respect the captain's time and keep your questions synced and to the point. And if you are not asking a question, we ask that you please place your phone on mute. With that, sir, if you have an opening statement, the floor is yours. Uh, okay, well, I'm a uh, YouTube pilot uh, out at Beale. I've been here for uh, about six years, and uh, I've uh, flown both in the 1st and 99th, so uh, operational missions all around the world, and uh, as well as uh, currently training uh, new YouTube pilots um, once they come here from their previous weapon systems. So that's uh, about what I do. Roger that, sir. And uh, on the first on the line was John McCandless. John, if you want to go ahead and ask your questions. Yes, uh, Captain, I wondered, uh, in William's uh, briefing material that he sent out to us, he uh, mentioned the 52 locations around the world that U-2s have, have operated from, including four stints at sea. And I write for the Navy uh, Memorial uh, blog. Uh, I wondered if you have any background on the four stints at sea. Um, when I was a uh, junior officer aboard the USS America in 1969, uh, we had a U-2 uh, land and take off from, uh, from the America, but it may have not been flown by Air Force people. It was an experiment, I believe, and uh, it was probably flown by the manufacturer. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have any, uh, any experience flying from sea. I think uh, that, was, that was a concept that they did uh, oh, back a while ago, but we haven't done that for a while, and I don't think, uh, I don't think we have any plans to in the future. It's hard enough to land with, uh, without being on a carrier. Do you happen to know where the uh, squadron's four stints at sea were? Were they uh, uh, during World War II or uh, Korea or Vietnam? Or uh, uh, know, probably probably wasn't a U-2 uh, aircraft. It's probably another platform. Uh, yeah, it was in 1969, actually on the USS America. Just looking that up real quick. And. That's not an Air Force bird. I guess it's not an Air Force bird, is what I'm being told. But yeah, I'm not sure. I don't have all the details on that. Okay, and you're not aware of the other stints, quote, stints at sea uh, offhand? No, sir. It's not off the top of my head. Okay, thank you. We'll come back around to you, John, for another question. Uh, somebody else just joined also. Can I get your name? Yeah, it's me, Chris Tate. I'm sorry? Chris Pape. Oh, thanks, Chris. Uh, okay, we're going around for questions now. Chuck, you were second? Yes, Captain. Thank you for talking to us today. Um, with our satellite, without giving anything away, with our satellite technology and our uh, electronic technology and the, the fact that we're not, I don't believe, flying SR-71s anymore, uh, what does a manned U-2 mission bring to the table uh, that is, is unique? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and actually, uh, any, any 
flying ISR platform uh, does a really good job because it's unpredictable. So, um, you know, satellites themselves are, are predictable. Their orbits are, are pretty predictable. Um, obviously, satellites are very expensive. So relative satellites were a lot cheaper uh, in that fact. And then uh, we also are able to be unpredictable. So um, without going too far in detail, um, we can pretty much be anywhere in the world at any time that we want to be. Thank you. And uh, Sagar. Oh, Sagar, I'm sorry. That's all right, Sagar. Like, Sagar. Uh, this is Sagar from HorizontalRain.com. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Captain. Uh, you know, I've actually had the honor of flying with uh, the BLT-38s and actually went on a U-2 high flight a couple of years ago. So I really admire and appreciate what you guys do. And I would like to know what uh, the members themselves, the airmen, are doing to commemorate the 100th um, anniversary and, you know, a little bit more behind the scenes of what you guys are doing on base to celebrate this uh, momentous occasion, and if I may, uh, what's it mean to the squadron themselves? Oh, yeah, well, we've been uh, very excited to, uh, you know, be the first flying squadron to have, to have a 100th anniversary, um, so it's uh, it's really unique, um, and, yeah, we've been doing, we basically had a big uh, get-together last weekend, um, so we had uh, invited all past uh, folks from the squadron, and uh, we had a, an event down in Sacramento that, uh, you know, we all basically pitched it and paid for, it. and it was it was a great uh, it was a great deal, um, just to kind of meet up with everyone and, and see all the different people from you know SR seventy one pilots, and I think we uh, actually had a couple guys that had flown uh, bombers back in World War II, if, if I remember correctly. So um, we had quite quite a, a vast array of experience there, and it really uh, was a testament to the the broad history and, and uh, of the of the first reconnaissance squadron. So it was uh, really exciting to see all those folks around base and. Uh, and uh, we were able to take those people and show them what we uh, what we're now doing today in the first reconnaissance squadron training, you know, U two and Global Hawk pilots, um, as well as uh, we we held a couple symposiums uh, talking about you know basically the history of of the first reconnaissance squadron. Did you get all that, Sager? Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Captain. You're welcome. Thank you, Chris. You were next. Chris, Chris Pape? Pape, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm still just catching up. You guys go ahead around. Roger that. Meredith, did you have a question? Still thinking, thanks. Roger that. Uh, John, back around to you. Uh, is Sacramento the, uh, or where is the uh, uh, first Reconnaissance Squadron based, if you can tell us that? And I'm wondering, is there a uh, uh, website that we can go to for some of the history? Um, yeah, so the um, the first reconnaissance squadron is located at Beale Air Force Base, about 40 miles north of Sacramento, and uh, you can go to uh, Beale. That's B E A L E. dot A F. dot mil. Did you have a follow up, John, to that? Uh, not right now. Okay. Thank you. And Chuck. Uh, yes. Um, Curious again about U-2 operations. Um, does the pilot have any discretion in the uh, course he flies? Uh, is he able to, um, oh, that's interesting over there, and change course? Or, or are you basically, you know, you're going to fly from here to there, and, and, uh, and that's it? 
Well, you know, it depends on it depends on the mission. We we uh, fly a wide variety of, of missions in the U two. So I've flown everything from a humanitarian mission. Um, you know, we we were I think one of the, the first airframe to do you know major damage assessment over uh, over New Orleans. Um, we also did um, some assessment over Haiti after after uh, the earthquake there, and uh, we did some stuff over Japan after. Uh, after the uh, tsunami there. So um, when you have that kind of mission, um, obviously you have a lot more latitude. Um, and then we've done everything to to that, the full spectrum, all the way to combat operations, um, which we currently have been doing in, in Afghanistan. So uh, it, def- it definitely depends on the missions and what you're trying to do during the mission. Um, but, uh, yeah, we are definitely very, we definitely have the capability to be very dynamic, uh, depending, on, depending on the situation. Okay. And a, a quick follow-up. You're flying... Two airframes, a piloted U-2, and the uh, Global Hawk drone. Did I understand that correctly? Uh, the first two constant squadron does correct. I mean, they're they're different pilots, obviously. We're we're not right. dual qualified in those, but yes. Okay, thank you. Cigar. Hey, Captain. I'll actually follow up on my colleague's uh, information there. So you guys obviously fly two separate aircraft. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, some of the similarities and differences, and also, if I may, what the camaraderie amongst the pilots of the two airframes? Uh, is there a friendly rivalry between you guys? <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's going to be that's going to be uh, normal in any any type of uh, squadron that has you know kind of similar type airplanes. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, we, we obviously all get along. We're all in the same squadron, and at the end of the day, um, our, our broad mission is very similar, and that's to provide you know, a uh, timely persistent ISR to our combatant commanders who, who, who require uh, and meet the needs, the intelligence needs of the country. So um, that's that's the goal at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's from a RQ-4 or a U-2. Um, and as far as the, the capabilities go, um, there are uh, some similar capabilities and uh, some some difference. I, I don't know how much, okay, how much can I go into here. Um so obviously, you know, obviously the biggest difference between the RQ-4 and the U-2 is the fact that the U-2 is uh, uh, it's a manned aircraft, um, uh, where the RQ-4 is, I'm not going to call it unmanned, I mean, there's still quite a quite a bit of support that is uh, used, uh, you know, on the ground. So we do have a pilot and sensor operator on, on the ground, and then um, I wouldn't forget our, our brothers over in the uh, the DGS, it's all the folks that, that do all the exploitation of all the information that we have. So... Um, there's entire intelligence wing that that does um, exploitation of all the information that we just collect. So we're just the collectors. Um, so we're similar in that sense. Uh, as far as the sensors go, we have uh, some similar sensors. Uh, both the U2 and Global Hawk uh, um, have basically a big digital camera on there, um, and so we, we both carry that. Um, and then the uh, we both carry a, a radar camera. Um, one unique thing about the uh, the U2 is that it uh, also carries um, an optical bar camera. So I was kind of talking about some of those humanitarian missions. Uh, we're able to map a very, very large uh, area at one time uh, using about two miles of wet film. So it still uses uh, regular 35-millimeter film, um, and that's a unique capability uh, to the U2. Um, obviously, the uh, RPA, remotely piloted aircraft, um, has a lot, lot more uh, endurance. Uh, than the U-2 does, so it can stay up for longer. Um, so that's one of the benefits of the, of the good walk. If I can ask a follow-up question, uh, so 
And if we have time, is that okay? Sure, yes. yes. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned that you guys fly at uh, high altitudes now. Again, uh, I've had a chance to experience it. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, the uniqueness of the fact that you guys are the only Air Force squadron to strap on a pressure suit and fly to the edge of space? I mean, that's kind of a kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, and I think that's one of the, the attractive uh uh, things that's most attractive coming to the U2 is that you get to do something that's neat. You know, we're I think we're the only mission that I can think of uh, off the top of my head uh, in the in the uh, at least in the Air Force we fly a single ship, single seat aircraft. So you know, normally uh, most aircraft that are by themselves, you know, they have a they have a crew on board the airplane. Where um, or you're you know if you're in a fighter by yourself, you you have a wingman. Um, we don't have either of those, so you're you're definitely off all by yourself. And then on top of it, they strap you into a, a big uh, a pressure suit. And then, uh, you know, you, you fly at 29,000 feet cabin altitude, so it's like sitting on top of Mount, Mount Everest. Um, and, uh, and then you get uh, some of the most spectacular views in the world, though. I'll say, you know, uh, just being able to, to see, I mean, on a nice day, you can see easily 300 miles in one direction. So, um, and just a, just a little bit of the curvature of the Earth, um, you know, above you is, is uh, I'm not going to say black, I can't see stars, but it's definitely, uh, definitely just an uh, amazing, amazing view up there. Thank you. And uh, Chris, back around to you. Yeah, I was wondering if you could tell me just, uh, I was on the uh, field.af.mil website. Um, can you tell me where I can find some of the information uh, that you've been referring to on there? I'm being told there's a uh, person's RS section on the website. And there's videos, photos, and stories. Okay, it's under the photos and stuff. Uh, yes. Okay. Thanks. Okay, and uh, John, did you have a follow-up? Uh, yes. Uh, how old are the U-2 airframes? When did they start flying those? And also, you referred to DG, uh, DGS. Uh, I'm not sure what that acronym stands for. Yeah, so we have the, actually, it's a DCGS, Distributed Common Ground System, um, and that's, uh, like I said, all the uh, folks in the intelligence community that exploit uh exploit the information that's collected from the uh, various uh, uh, platforms. Um, now, sorry, what was the previous question? Sorry, I know you had two parts there. How, how old is the U-2 airframe? When oh, did they start yeah, flying? Yeah, 1955, they started flying the A-model. So Kelly Johnson, uh, they uh, really amazing story. If you look at the, the U-2, the way it was designed, uh, they started, uh, I think it started on a back of a napkin or so. Uh, but uh, basically in mid-1953, so from the concept to the... Uh, Actual rolled off the line operation was about 18 months, about, about a year and a half or so, and um, so the first jet A model flew in 1955. Yeah, remember uh, basically what they did. Goal was to be a short-term asset that was going to fly over Russia and find its uh, nuclear production sites and uh, nuclear weapon sites. So um, basically, what they wanted to do is find something that could fly high and avoid uh, all the threats of the current time, and um, so they basically took an F-104, uh, ripped the short wings off, and uh, put really long wings on it. Um, and then they uh, uh, and then they took the landing gear off because that was heavy. Because for every uh, for every hundred pounds they could save, they could, could climb another thousand feet. So that's how we ended up with our uh, very unique configuration. Um, there are actually three production runs of the U-2: uh, the 55 production run, the 68 production run, and then the 1980 production run. So almost all of our airframes now are in the 1980 production run. 
Um, we do have a couple from 1968 left over, uh, none from 1955. There's just a couple on sticks throughout the throughout the country, but uh, but you'll notice uh, if you look at the the uh, last two production runs versus the the uh, the A models, you'll notice that they're about 35% bigger or so. So the original wingspan, I want to say, was about 75 feet. Don't quote me on that, but about 75 feet, 70 feet. Uh, and then the uh, the current uh, wingspan is 104 feet. Um, and so we have a lot, lot bigger payload capacity, um, and so it's not not your uh, not your Gary Powers U2 that we're flying today. We have uh, definitely updated avionics, sensors, and payload capacity. So uh, we're very, very modern aircraft, despite the fact that it's been around a long time. Thank you. And Chuck. Uh, yes, um, I had two questions. One of them flew away, but I'll, I'll go with my other question. Um, Global Hawk is capable, this weapon's capable. Uh, has the U-2 ever been used as a weapons platform? Um, sorry, are you saying the, the RT-4 is weapons capable? Isn't the Global Hawk able to carry uh, air-to-ground missiles or, no, uh, very, or bombs? It carries, no, it just carries uh, sensors, so basically uh, cameras and signals intelligence. Okay, so so so... The Global Hawk is a true reconnaissance drone versus the Predator or or uh, some of the other drones. Yeah, that's correct. When you start talking about you know MQ1s and MQ9s, uh, those those guys are you know more mid altitude is what I would, I would classify them as. Whereas you know a a RQ4 is a high altitude platform, so it's operating you know um, you know a, a, a lot higher. So. Not not really uh, ideal for weapons deployment. That high. You got that, Chuck? Okay, thank you. And Sagar, did you have a follow up? Sure. Um, actually, Chuck has a good segue. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about uh, your official and unofficial mottos of "In God We Trust, All As We Monitor, and Alone, Unarmed, Unafraid"? Please. Yeah. So, alone, unarmed, and unafraid. Uh, you know, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Whereas we're we're out there uh, by ourselves, and we, we don't have uh, any weapons on the U2. So, you know, you're out there uh, unarmed, and, and, you know, we, we say we're unafraid. I don't know. Sometimes it's a little scary, though, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, you know, you can be um, out there all by yourself, uh, and there's not a friendly face for, uh, you know, thousands of miles around. So um, just depending on what, what type of mission you have. And um, so there's definitely some, some fairly risky missions that, that we still currently fly today and uh, that, that you can definitely tell from our from our history uh, from, you know, overflying uh, the Russia overflights in the uh, 50s and early 60s to the Cuban Missile Crisis, et cetera. So, um, um, and then, uh, I don't know, I think uh, the In God We Trust Dollars Monitor, I, I think that's, you know, just kind of a, kind of a joke of the, the play off of the, off of the uh, what's on the back of our, our currency. Um, so, it says In God We Trust, and we just say, well, so we trust that, but everyone else we monitor because uh, we're very, um, good at, at uh, collecting and, and monitoring those who want. Obviously, it doesn't uh, mean anything towards the, the citizens of the United States or anything like that. It's, we do, everything we do is geared towards um, the defense of the nation. Um, it's obviously illegal for us to monitor our own citizens, so we, we don't participate in any of those activities. Did you get all that? I did. Thank you very much again, Captain. Okay, and uh, Jackie, uh, Jackie McGinnis. 
Hi, yes, Jackie McGinnis with Air Force Live. I had a question kind of bringing you back to the Airman Magazine story and the 100 Years of Flying. I wanted to know um, what inspired you or how did you know you wanted to become a YouTube pilot? And then second, um, you talked about some of the older model of planes. Is there any, like, any particular one that's your favorite besides the one you're flying now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the SR-71 is definitely a really, really cool airplane. I mean, um, you know, it was actually designed to replace the U-2 and, and ended up not. But uh, So I think if I, if I could have flown something else, uh, you know, the uh, the predecessor in our squadron was the SR-71, and I would have I loved to have flown that. I think that's just a neat airplane. You get to fly high and fast. So you kind of fly slow and fast in the U-2. It would be kind of cool to, cool to fly fast. Um, as far as being uh, wanting to be a U-2 pilot, I just think it's uh, it's just – a really, really unique opportunity to go out there and uh, fly high. Um, I, I, there's not very many people in the world that can say that they've, they've been up there and, and done that, and it's just uh, it's amazingly peaceful up there. Uh, the views are spectacular, um, and, I, and I think more importantly, too, our, our mission is, is really critical. Um, you know, we go out there, and um, there's stuff that, that we do that no one else can do just because of the uh, ability to climb high and the uh, um, ability of our sensors to collect because we're so high. So, um, you know, we, we do have a pretty uh, proud heritage of, of providing the most senior decision makers in the country with, with information when they need it. So I wanted to be a part of, the, part of that tradition. Great. Thank you. And sorry, uh, where were we at? Uh, uh, Chris, sorry. Did you have a follow-up? Yeah, actually, I've got a, this is a two-part question, and neither part is re related to the other. So I apologize for that. But um, I came in a little late, so I apologize if you already explained this. But how does the U-2 differ from uh, the satellite technology that we already have in the sky or in space, taking pictures and getting all sorts of reconnaissance information? And then my second question was, is uh, I'm the founder of Macho Spouse, which is uh, basically a support mechanism for male military spouses. So I'm curious if you've ever worked with any female U-2 pilots. Okay. Yeah, I'll take the first one, uh, or the second one first. Uh, yeah, we currently have, uh, I think, two female U-2 pilots in the program right now. Um, so that may not sound like a lot, but you got to realize uh, we're not, not very big uh, to begin with. So um, ever since I've been here, we've had um, at least one female U-2 pilot uh, in the program um, at any given time. So, um, and honestly, they're, they're no different. They're just as capable as we are, and uh, they're just uh, another one of our sparring mates that, that really don't get treated any differently. Um, so uh, we enjoy deploying with them, and um, they, they do a great job, just like, just like all the, all the uh, males do. Um, as far as uh, we kind of addressed a little bit earlier about how we kind of differ from satellites, you know, um, the thing with satellites is that they're, um, they're fairly predictable. So they, they fly in a predictable path, so... Um, you know, you might be able to figure out when that satellite is passing over your country so you could, could do what you want with it. With a U-2, um, we're unpredictable, or, or any flying asset doesn't have to be the U-2, but, you know, um, we're very dynamic, so it's very easy for us to move, to change locations, and um, we can show up at an unpredictable um, ops tempo. Um, so that's why um, man or, or uh Flying, you know, low out or lower altitude than satellites, you know, so flying uh, assets, ISR assets, are really important because it provides an element of, of unpredictability, which is really, really important when you're trying to collect information and you're trying to, to figure out what someone's intentions are. 
Thank you. And uh, we probably have time for another question or two. John? I'm good. Thank you. Chuck? Uh, yeah, Captain, um, if I understood you correctly, uh, the people that come to you are already pilots. They just need to be trained in uh, flying the U-2. Uh, do you get fighter pilots, transport pilots? Uh, you know what? What background uh, do 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 most of your uh, most of your pilots come from? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, um, we have people from everywhere, um, so um, it really doesn't matter which you have flown. We do have a couple of requirements. You have to have at least a minimum of 500 hours of, of fixed wing time. So. If you've only flown a helicopter, um, you know, we, we ask you to go get some fixed wing time, uh, maybe training command or something like that. We, we do have a few guys that have flown helicopters in the past, but they did have some fixed wing time in the training command. Um, we also, uh, we have guys, though, from uh, heavy backgrounds, fighter backgrounds, bomber backgrounds. Uh, um, we take guys um, also from different services. So we have a couple guys from the Coast Guard right now, from the Marine Corps, and also the Navy. Um, so um, it is a really, really diverse group of people um, with a diverse uh, group of backgrounds. So, you know, and to say who does better, it really, you know, it really, I can't say. Um, I'm, I'm one of the guys that, that hires people right now. We, we, you know, it's a two-week interview process, and I'm one of the guys that goes in the second week of the interview where you actually fly three times. And, you know, I can't really say that, you know, oh, F-16 guys do better than um, A-10 guys or anything like that. It, it's not. You know, every everyone goes out there and it's uh, – uh, the jet uh, is, is a difficult airplane to fly because it doesn't meet military specifications. So when we go and, and teach you to fly in pilot training, you know, some of those things apply to the U-2, but there's a lot of things that don't. Uh, and because it's designed uh, differently than, than other airplanes. So um, that's the, the unique and challenging uh, part of the U-2, and that's why we have the interview process. Just a, a quick follow-up. How does that work? That a, a Coast Guard uh, airman, uh, a Coast Guard pilot, can get assigned to, to fly a U-2. What is that a, a joint type? Uh, are you a joint operation duty or or joint command or something? Oh man, I wish because I get promoted a lot faster. But uh, no, uh, no. Actually, what they do is they end up doing a uh, a inter service transfer. Um, so uh, basically, they separate from the Coast Guard and and become a uh, Air Force officer. Oh, okay. So they are. They're Air Force now. They used to be Coast Guard or Marine or, or, or whatever. That's correct. That's correct. Ah, okay. Do you know that, Chuck? Yes, thank you. Roger that. And uh, so it looks like we're just about out of time. Uh, Captain, did you have any uh, more comments you'd like to make? Was there anything that uh, you'd like to add to the roundtable? No, I just want to thank everyone uh, for their time, and I hope, uh, hope this answers your question. Thank you very much, sir, and thank you again to everybody who participated in the uh, Bluggers Roundtable today. The program will be up live on dodlive.mil tomorrow where you'll be able to access an audio file first thing in the morning. Uh, again, thank you to everybody on the line. This concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.